Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, thanking you so much for the salvation that we share together, because there truly is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. And Father, it's in that salvation that we find peace. We live in a world that seems to be tumbling out of order and out of control, but yet in you we have peace, in you we have security, in you we have order. And so now, Lord, I pray that you would come and minister to us through your word. You would use me, Lord, in order to break open the gospel, break open the word of God to these, your people. I pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Did you know the gospel is all through the Old Testament, not just the New Testament? I mean, the entire Bible is about Jesus Christ. The entire Bible is about the promises that we have in him. And, you know, we're living in some amazing times. And uh, uh, before church this morning, um, in fact, Pastor Frank Jr. shared this uh, already, but before church this morning, uh, one of the fellows I was speaking with was telling me that in Israel they're um, going to start uh, having the vaccine for COVID-19, and anyone who takes the vaccine will receive a card showing that they had the vaccine. And anyone who doesn't have the card is not going to be able to travel or be able to go into stores to buy things. And now, of course, that isn't the mark of the beast. That doesn't happen until halfway through the tribulation. But what it points out to us is how easily that could come. I mean, there was a time that probably people in this nation would say, there's no way that there ever be people willing to take a mark of the beast in order to buy or sell, whether they're believers or not. But now you can see how easy it would be for that to happen. And it's interesting, too, I don't know if you saw this in the news. I actually uh, caught the uh, justice's speech. I can't remember which justice it was. This is a justice of the Supreme Court. And he received a lot of criticism because he came out and he gave a talk and he was sharing that this is an attack on the church. All of this is an attack on the church. He said, there's no way that you can have abortion clinics, you know, liquor stores, bars be, being considered essential businesses, and churches aren't. And a, a lot of you might have also seen that uh, Governor Cuomo was shot down by the Supreme Court. Uh, you know, as far as, as far as church is concerned. You know, because he wanted to basically shut down the church except for no more than 10 people attending. And, and that's the f First Amendment of the Constitution of the United States. And, um, but what we stand on, much more than the Constitution of the United States, is the Word of God. And the Word of God commands us to come together, and all the more as we see that day approaching. And there's no way that any believer who has even a vague knowledge of prophecy cannot realize that we're living in the last days. I mean, think of everything that's going on in the world. I mean, our world is, is going crazy. It's falling apart. In fact, it's interesting because Scripture tells us as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. Now, uh, I've never personally delivered a baby. I've seen babies born, but I've never personally delivered a baby. I'm not a, a, a doctor. But one of the things that probably all the women who have had children in this church would testify to is that when labor pains start, you're going to have a baby. You know what I'm saying? When real labor pains start, they not only continue, but they become more and more intense 
until the child is born. Well, this world's been in labor pains, and I think the labor pains are now about 30 seconds apart. <laughs> They're pretty intense. We're close. And the fact is that the Scripture tells us as we see that day approaching, we, we as believers all the more should be willing to shout out the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because understand, there is salvation in no other name but Jesus Christ. And anyone who is not saved, anyone who is not born again, which is a free gift, there's no one excluded from it, so it's not unfair, it's a free gift. Anyone who is not saved, anyone who is not born again will go to hell. Now, I'm not saying that to be ugly. Jesus talked about hell more than anyone else in the Scripture. Now, Jesus didn't talk about hell because he's mean and he can't wait to throw people in there. He talked about hell as a warning because he wanted no one to go there. He is patient with us, wishing for how many to perish? None to perish. He wants everyone to come to salvation. So this is a time, maybe in history, like no other time we've ever had, a time in which you and I as believers have to be open and willing to share our faith. Do you understand? People are frightened. People are without hope. But we have the truth that we can share if we're only willing to. Because the thing we have to understand, do you, do you, under, do you realize the Lord doesn't owe us anything? The Lord doesn't owe us a thing. And uh, he doesn't need us to be complete in himself, as some people say. Well, God created man so that he could be complete in himself. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need us to be complete in himself. He is complete. He is all in all. He is God Almighty. And so the fact is, why then did God become flesh, come into the world, die a hideous death for no other reason that you and I might be justified... Well, first, forgiven, justified, and sanctified in him. Why did he do that? The only answer of why God went through all of this for this creation of mankind that he created in his own image, the only reason God could have gone through that is something that we can't fully understand, and that's love. For God so loved the world. God created us out of love, and he sanctified us out of love. But some people will say, well, don't we have love? Well, the Greek word for love, for this kind of unconditional love, is agapeos. And we like to say, I have agapeos love. No, we don't. We work towards agapeos love. But just like there's only one who is completely sinless, that's Jesus Christ, there's only one who is complete in agapeos love, and that's Jesus Christ. He, his love was so complete that he literally laid down his life that you and I might live. And for that reason, we have a responsibility to share that same love with others. I mean, we're, we're living in a time, my friends, I'm telling you, we're living in a time that the rapture, taken from the Latin word raptos, which means to be caught up, we shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. It's any moment. It can happen any moment. And so we need to be out there sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so you might be thinking, well, what if people don't believe right now and we share the gospel and the rapture comes? 
Well, I believe, and I've shared, shared this with you at least one, maybe one or two or a thousand times, but I've shared this, this with you before. I believe that the greatest revival this world will ever see will be after the rapture. Because when the rapture occurs and all we cooked nuts are gone, people are going, going to be saying, you know what? What they said must be true. And I think there's going to be a great revival. And the reason I say this is because there will be so many Christians in the world after the rapture that the Antichrist is going to work out a way he can mark people in order to know who the Christians are that he might put all of them to death. It's amazing. Read your book of Revelation. It's absolutely an amazing book. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, and we're picking up with verse 12 where Pastor Frank Jr. left off. And it starts off in verse 12 and it says, And now Israel. Now it's interesting because, of course, the word Israel means, Israel means belonging to God. And, and, and we relate Israel to a nation, what we call the, you know, the nation Israel, the Jews, but the word Israel itself means belonging to God. And one of the things you'll find as you study the Old Testament, not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament, when God uses the term Israel, he's not just talking about the Jews. He's talking about all those who will belong to him. So, and now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God to walk in all his ways and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. Now notice, he's saying these are for your good. Observance uh, of the Lord's commands never bring harm to us. It's always for our betterment. It's for our good. Think about this. People who love the Lord and really have their minds, you know, focused on Him, they're able to go through difficulty and even the difficult times we're in more easily than anyone else. It's for our good to love the Lord. Now, let's see. Pick up verse 14. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth and all that is in it. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them, and he chose their descendants, and I don't think that's just physical descendants. I think it's also spiritual descendants. We all have the same father, Abraham, Scripture tells us, after them. You above all peoples as it is to this day. Therefore circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. And some have asked me, what does it mean? How do you make a bribe to the Lord? How can we bribe God? We do. Have you ever said this? Lord, if you do this one thing for me, I promise I'll be the best Christian in the world. What are you trying to bribe God? You know, like, God's going to be saying, oh, okay, what, what is it you want? Well, that would make us God. We're not God. We're, 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 
we're people. And people, of course, have uh, very selfish ambitions. And so we have to make sure that we don't ever try to bribe God because it tells us he doesn't take bribes anyway. Verse 14, indeed, heaven and the highest heavens... Um, uh, did I already say that? Yeah. Verse 18, he administers justice for the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore, love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Verse 20, you shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. He is your praise. I love that. He is your praise, and he is your God who has done for you these great and awesome things which our eyes have seen. Your, your fathers went down to Egypt with 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as the stars of heaven in multitude. And that's a lot of people, and of course we don't know exactly how many stars there are in the heavens, but it just means it's uncountable. And the children of Israel at this point were probably about 3 million. And people say, well, I saw the Ten, Ten Commandments, and it only looked like maybe a couple hundred people that were marching through the wilderness. Well, that was a movie. <laughs> the reality is, as we went through numbers, and it told, told us the number of fighting men in each tribe, there were about 600,000 men of fighting age. Well, if you take the same number of women as there would have been men of fighting age, now you have 1,200,000. And you figure they at least had two children, so now you're over three million people. And the reality is they probably had more than two children. But nevertheless, we're talking about a large group that was moving through the wilderness, going to cross over the Jordan into the Promised Land. Over three million people. I mean, that's a lot of people. Now... Fear the Lord your God. Now, the word fear, because we... we always think, well, why should we fear the Lord our God? Well, the name of the Lord is Yahweh. The word here for fear is Yahweh, with an R sound, Yahweh. And what it means is a reverence for the Lord to the point of it being almost frightening. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, to fully revere or reverence the Lord we have to come to a place where we understand who he is. He is almighty God. He is king of kings. He is lord of lords. He's creator of the universe. And he's the judge of all mankind. And he has laid out his precepts that we are to follow. In fact, in this portion, he tells them, you know, make sure you follow my precepts. Make sure you follow my commands. He's laid them out for us. And anyone who is honest in his own heart would have to say, I have failed in this area and that area. I have sinned. For how many have sinned? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So to realize that he is almighty God, judge of the universe, he's given us his precepts, and we've broken those precepts, we've broken those laws, that should cause a godly fear. And the only thing that is able to cause that godly fear, you know, to be softened in our heart is to know his grace and love. 
all of us fall to sin. Every day, all of us fall to sin in one way or another. And knowing who God is, it should bring that kind of respectful fear in our heart that we say, God, forgive me a sinner. And he does. Well, how many times should we forgive someone, Peter said? Seven? And then the Lord said, no, seven times 70. In other words, he was saying indefinitely. So how many times do we forgive others? As many times as people ask forgiveness. How many times does God forgive us? As many times as we ask forgiveness. God, forgive me a sinner. And he does because he's such a wonderful and awesome God. Because the thing we have to understand is justice. He's a just God. Justice always requires judgment. And there can be no judgment unless we have precepts or laws to follow. And so consequently, God has laid out his precepts, he's laid out his laws in order for us to recognize our guilt for the purpose of motivating us to run to him asking for his forgiveness. God, forgive me. Please, Jesus, forgive me. And he will. I mean, what love, what wondrous love. It's so far beyond our ability to understand. Now, because of this reverence and awe that we have for the Lord, it naturally causes us to, to desire to walk in all of his ways and to be obedient to him. There's no one who ever walked the face of this earth except for Jesus Christ who's been sinless. We've all sinned. And that's what caused the godly fear, I think, in most people. You know, you have people say, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in any of this heaven and hell stuff. But I think most people, if they're really honest with themselves, they know that this life isn't the end. This physical life isn't the end. I mean, every religion, every even primitive tribe you can look at, they have some concept of an afterlife. Well, there is an afterlife. Because for you and I, we never die. The physical body might pass away, but who we are, the essence of who we are, our soul identity, our, 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 you know, who we are, our, our self-identity, never dies. But if that self-identity, if that soul is justified by the Spirit of Almighty God, then we have the assurance of being with the Lord in heaven. And if it's not justified by the Spirit of God, then we will live, not us, not you and I, we are saved, but those who refuse to accept Christ they go to hell. I mean, if you read the very end of Revelation and you have the judgment seat of Christ and you have those that are all, who are raised up and for all must stand before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ, and if your name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, Revelation tells us you're cast into the fires of hell where the cries of their torment will be heard forever and ever. Very serious. It's a very serious responsibility, responsibility that we have in our faith and in sharing our faith. And that's what this portion in Deuteronomy is trying to encourage us in. The reality of recognizing what God has done for us and sharing that, that free gift of salvation that the Lord has shown so abundantly, has just sown abundantly on us. 
Um, scripture tells us that the only reason that we can love, love the Lord or love anyone, is because he first loved us. The love that we have in our heart can only come for, from God. You know, you can have some people that seem to, by nature, be loving people. But if they're not born again of the Spirit, when push comes down to shove, number one comes first. The love that they have for you is going to prove to be very shallow when it comes to what's going to be, going to be best for them. Now, it doesn't mean, as believers, we all come to that place of agape love where we're willing to self-sacrifice for others. But the reality is, as believers, there are times that we will sacrifice for others. You know, it might not be our life. It might be something simple. But we're willing to sacrifice for the betterment of others. And um, reverence and awe of His majesty, the Lord's ma majesty, combined with His grace, naturally leads to love. And uh, this love is based on all the promises God has given us. And uh, in 2 Corinthians 1.20 it says, For all the promises of God in Him, and the Him, it's the capital H in your Bible, is talking about Jesus Christ. For all the promises of God in Him, in Jesus Christ, are yes, and in Him, amen. That means so be it. Amen means so be it. So all the promises that we read about in the Bible in Jesus Christ are ours. They're yes and they're amen. You have them. Well, I don't deserve it. Well, you never did deserve it. I don't deserve it. That's why it's such a beautiful free gift of grace that God has bestowed upon any of us. If any of us ever comes to a place where we feel, well, you know, I, I probably do deserve it now then you've lost something. You've lost an awe and reverence and respect for God because you don't understand who he is and who you are. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm a sinner maintained by grace. I'm a sinner that will be glorified by grace. And one of the things that I think all of us as believers look forward to is that day that the Lord catches us and takes us up in the air and we go to be with him in heaven because at that point, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that we're going to put on a spiritual body. The physical body came first, then the spiritual body. We're going to put on a spiritual body to be with the Lord. And the wonderful thing about that spiritual body is this. We won't even know how to sin. How would you like to have that? Not even know how to sin. Hey, you want to do this? What do you mean? <laughs> I, I wouldn't do that. You, know, you don't even know how to sin. With your, and all we're going to be doing is praising and worshiping the Lord. You see, the love and the confidence we have in Him naturally should motivate us to walk in all of His ways. In 1 John, and if you take notes, you might want to write some of these verses down. In 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 through 3, By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. I've never heard anyone say, oh, I'm so burdened down, I've been, I've been really good. <laughs> I mean, usually people are, oh, I'm so burdened down because I've been so bad. So his commands are not burdensome. His commands 
are wonderful. And we know that we love him when we love one another. That is what the Lord God is telling us. Again in the Gospel of John, if you move to chapter 14 and verse 23, Jesus answered and said to them, if you love me, you'll keep my word. And then in, in chapter 14, if you move to 24, verse 24, he who does not love me does not keep my words. And so the thing we have to understand is our love is expressed by keeping his word. It's by obeying him. It doesn't mean we do it perfectly. It doesn't mean we do it perfectly. I think all of us as believers recognize that there are areas of our life that we find ourselves weak in. Every one of us have found ourselves falling to sin. But the reality is our desire is to be obedient to him because obedience brings peace. You know, and, and I know I say this in, 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 in kind of a humorous way, trying to be a little bit comical, but I, I, I don't mean it totally to be that way. I think there's a seriousness to it. I mean, there's none of us that have ever laid in bed at night just before we're ready to fall asleep and say, man, I'll tell you what, I, I, I'm so disgusted with myself. I mean, I spent the whole evening reading the Word and, and, and praying for people. I, I just feel so like I just wasted my evening. How many have ever done that? But how many of us have ever gone to bed at night and we say, I can't believe I wasted the whole evening. I watched that stupid show. I get sucked in by all these news broadcasts that are giving me all kinds of hopes and promises that may, you know, uh, uh, and I didn't read the word and, oh, I, I should have spent this time in prayer. That's when we're disgusted with ourselves. The point that I'm trying to get at is that walking close to the Lord and being obedient to him and worshiping him is never a negative. It's always a positive. It always brings us to a place of joy. Because we have to understand love is never expressed in rebellion, but by loyalty. And loyalty must have precepts to follow, otherwise we wouldn't understand what loyalty is. In other words, our love and loyalty to the Lord is laid out for us in Scripture. And so we need to study the Word of God to know what He desires of us. You know, God tells us He wants us to know. But if the only Scripture you get is on Sunday morning, I can tell you right now, it's not enough. I take blood pressure medication. And I never stand in front of our little cabinet where I keep my blood pressure pills. I never stand in front of that and say, well, you know, I've taken my blood pressure medication for three weeks in a row. I think I'll skip it for a while. I don't necessarily think I need it right now. Right? I wouldn't say that. I mean, I'm going to take my blood pressure medicine every day because if I don't, my blood pressure goes up. Well, the thing is, you can't ever come to a place where you say, well, you know, for two weeks I've been really into the Word of God. I think I can take a break. No, you can't, because your spiritual health is a whole lot more important than your physical health. So we need to be in the Word of God. Because we have to realize all the natural universe belongs to the Lord by virtue of His being the creator of the natural universe. You understand what I mean? He alone is the one we are responsible to. 
because he alone is the one who created all things. This is why God has a right to command us to be circumcised of heart. Now, you notice he's talking here in this portion about being circumcised of heart. He told Abraham, you know, that the people were to be circumcised physically, the, the male children, the cutting away of the foreskin. But this tells us we're to cut away the foreskin of the heart. Well, what does that mean? In our spiritual sense, we also have to cut away the flesh. Not physical flesh, not, not you know, tissue but we need to cut away the flesh as far as our way of thinking, as far as our, 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 you know, our motivation is concerned. Are we seeking after the things of the flesh or seeking after the things of God? I'm seeking after the things of God. You know, people might be saying, well, what if this happens? Or what if that happens? Or, or what if this person gets in the office? Or what if that person gets in, in, into office? Or what if they pass this law? Or what if they pass that law? <clears throat> what if they... What if what? D does somehow God become dethroned? Does somehow God lose control of what's going on? No. God is in control. He knows the beginning from the end. Or the end... From the beginning is the way it really goes. In other words, he knows the end result of everything. He knew it right from the beginning of creation. So he's not caught by surprise. And so we have to understand God's in control. No matter what's going on around us, <clears throat> no matter how difficult th things might seem to be, he's in control. What I tell people is if, if things seem to be getting worse and worse and more and more out of control, it shows how close we are. But the thing we have to understand, that you and I, as believers, we have to stand on the Word of God. Because it tells us in John 6, 3, it is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. In Romans 2, 25, for circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. In other words, it's related to obedience to God's Word. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So this circumcision of the heart is related to obedience, not disobedience or doing whatever we want to do. And we have to understand it is only the sharp blade of the Holy Spirit that can circumcise our heart. Only the sharp blade of the Holy Spirit. <coughs> Sorry. No one can come up to you and say, well, if you do what I tell you to do, things will be okay. Or if you follow this rule or this regulation, everything will be okay. It has to be the Holy Spirit that works it in us. It's only the Holy Spirit that can circumcise you know, the, the flesh of our heart to remove the flesh of our heart. Because we have to understand God's love shows no partiality. He says he doesn't take a bribe that he administers justice to the fatherless and to the widow, and he also loves the stranger, and he gives food and clothing. And, uh, and he goes on in verse 19, he says, Therefore, love the stranger. How difficult it is for us not to show partiality, isn't it? We have our own set of standards of what we think people should be like, and if they don't meet those standards, well, then, hey. Well, isn't that showing partiality? We need to love everyone. 
anyone who shows partiality to any other person for any reason is not following the love of God in Christ Jesus. We show no partiality. Here's what I tell people. There's only two kinds of people in the entire world. Belie you know, believers, those who are saved, and those who need to be saved. That's it. And our responsibility is, is not, um, you know, taken away because these people are, are, are following some pagan religion or whatever it might be. Our responsibility is to share the truth no matter what and no matter who the people might be in order that they might hear the truth and hopefully be saved. And, um, and we desire all to be saved. We should anyway. And um, not just those that we consider worthy to be saved. But anyone. We need to be willing to share our faith with anyone. I love what it tells us in, in Acts 2.21. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And how many is included in whoever? Everybody. And it's repeated again in Romans 10, 13. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, did you know these verses are fulfillment of an ancient prophecy given by the prophet Joel? In Joel, 3, or in Joel chapter 2, verse 32, he's prophesying of the coming of the Messiah. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's Joel 2, 32. In John chapter 6, verse uh, 37, 637, it says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. In other words, Jesus is saying, Anyone who comes to me I'm going to bring into the family of God. And we always have to keep in mind where we came from before we were saved. I was talking to someone before the second service. <clears throat> and sometimes I think the older you get, you think of all those things from your past. You think, oh my gosh, what an idiot I was. Oh, But the Lord has redeemed us from our past, even our recent past. And so we have to be careful. We don't want to be reminded of our past, and we have to be careful when we're ministering to other people and to those people that we love. We're not always reminding them of their past. We shouldn't remind them of their past at all, no matter how recent their past is. Don't remind them of it. That's gone. It's taken from them as far as the east is from the west, and the Lord remembers their sins no more, nor ours. That's the promise we have in the Lord. So this portion of Scripture that I was just sharing with you from Deuteronomy is so encouraging. It lays out the fact that God has given us his precepts, he's given us his ordinance, he's given us his commands, and that you and I can't really fulfill those in the flesh. You have to cut away the foreskin of the flesh, of the heart. We can only fulfill them in the spirit. And the spirit operates in our lives through grace and mercy not by judgment and hardness. You do this or else. It's grace or mercy. I desire to obey the Lord because I love him, not because of a fear of judgment. The minute I was saved and was born again, the fear of judgment was taken away. I belong to Jesus. And now my desire to be obedient is out of love, not fear. Do you understand? Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and we thank you for your word and for your truth and for your love. 
And I pray, Father, that if there are any here this morning who don't know you, who haven't been born again of the Spirit, that this would be their day of salvation. It's as simple as just asking you to forgive their sins and take over their lives. It's that simple, Lord. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that if there are any here who need your redemption, that even while we're praying now, they'd call upon your name and they would so be saved. And so, Father, I ask now that you would... Um, just prepare our hearts to meet this week to be your witnesses. And now, Lord, I pray that you would dismiss us with your blessing. And I ask all this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen and amen. And God bless you, my brothers and sisters.